Welcome. My name is Will Stanfield. I'm a millennial young professional living in Alabama. I'm a Christian and I experience same-sex attraction. In this podcast, I'm hoping to change the conversation on culture, sexuality, and faith. This is Broken Culture. Hey everyone, welcome to Broken Culture. Today, we'll be talking about the complexity of attraction and discussing how we can have a better conversation when talking about sexual attraction. Hey. Hey. Helen Mirren. Hot? Yeah, super pretty. Huh. What about Kathy? The temp? Yeah, do you think she's hot? No. I'm not asking if you're into her. Just objectively, do you find her attractive? I'm telling you I don't. You don't find Kathy attractive? No, I don't. No. I'm not gonna tell my nine months pregnant wife that I find her replacement objectively attractive. Just like I'm not gonna tell my two-year-old daughter that violent video games are objectively more fun. It's true, but it doesn't help anybody. Look at her. Even I want some fries with that shake. Okay, uh, I don't. So are we good? That's just absurd. Yes, because she's hot, right? Her breasts are large, her waist is small, her reproductive health and ample evidence and facial symmetry. Come on. The thing about pregnancy is people treat you differently. Like you're a kid almost. They lose all sense of boundaries. They start acting weird, telling you things that clearly aren't true. I know it sounds nuts, but I think Dwight is the only one who's telling me the truth. Dwight, am I hot right now? Why would I or anyone else think that you're hot right now? I can't impregnate you, and that's the driving force between male-female attraction. What about before? Was I attractive before? Meh. You were at your most attractive when you were 24 with a slight gradual decline and a steep drop-off when you got pregnant for the first time, gradual recovery, and, uh, well, now, obviously, you're at an all-time low. Hmm. (laughs) Okay, so I love The Office, and I felt like this short clip was a great intro to our topic today. Asterisk, I really had a hard time looking up the guidelines for using other copyrighted material and media in your own media publication and production, so if this counts, I do not own that content from the office. So don't don't come at me, NBC. <laughs> also, this is not a monetized podcast, so I'm not profiting whatsoever off that content. Okay, asterisk over. In today's episode, we're talking about attraction. The stuff I want to talk about today is closely linked to what we covered in our last episode, but it's nuanced enough on its own that it deserves its own episode. In the last episode, we concluded that there is a very specific precedent for what rightly ordered sexuality looks like. We even went so far as to say that sexual attraction in rightly ordered sexuality should only be actually expressed and acted on in opposite sex marriage. What we were specifically talking about was the language of disordered sexuality and why it's been unhelpful in the way that it's been used up to this point 
and how we can use that language in a more helpful and effective way. This week, I'm coming from a different angle, but it is still very similar. So I'm gonna try to help you all clearly understand how what I'm talking about is different, but is still closely related. Today, I wanna talk about attraction in the sense of a poor conversation that has been had in the past and that is still had about our moment-to-moment experience with attraction. This is our problem. When folks wanna say that same-sex attraction is wrong, they usually forget to include that opposite-sex attraction is also wrong. And we talked last time about why. But this week, I'm honing in on an idea that many Christians hold to, that to experience a moment of same-sex attraction is an act of sin that should be repented of because it's specifically wrong to be attracted to the same sex. This brings up a few questions. Have I actually committed lust when I have felt sexual attraction to someone else? Am I only same-sex attracted when it comes to a particular moment of sexual interest? Or am I same-sex attracted from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep? So is it just in one instance when I see someone or is it the total waking experience of my interactions with other people? And then maybe is it even while I'm sleeping? Is my sexual attraction to the same sex at the root of my everyday experience, or is it just an occasional element of my everyday experience? When people tell me to repent of the sin of my same-sex attraction, are they talking about the actual act of lust, or are they talking about the general possibility that I might experience attraction to the same sex sometime today? Last time, we talked about why it's not helpful to tell someone who experiences same-sex attraction to turn and repent of their sin and to experience opposite-sex attraction, but the bottom-line question is this. At what point is my sexual attraction out of bounds? This goes for both same-sex attraction and opposite-sex attraction. Again, this is tricky because we don't want to contradict the conclusion we came to last week, where we might say that it would be okay to freely express your sexual attraction whenever you feel like. What we are microscopically looking at today is at what point does sexual attraction stray into sin? In one sense, we need to hold to the truth that the only rightly ordered expression of sexual attraction is between a man and a woman in marriage. In another sense, it would be helpful for us to talk about whether a fleeting moment of sexual attraction is an expressed act of lust or is it not. It is important that we not limit this conversation only around same-sex attraction, though. And this is where I believe Christians and many others have made the gravest mistake. 
there is a pattern of heteronormative idolatry in the church that seeks to guard against age-old misconceptions about opposite sex or heterosexual attraction, saying that it's normal or more permissible to be generally attracted to the opposite sex. I believe this is problematic and makes the conversation we've been having ineffective and honestly damaging at times. Hopefully, what we talk about today can help give us better clarity which will inform the conversation we are having in a more positive and helpful way. From a biblical perspective, it is important in this moment to recognize that not one person on earth does any good. That even in our best attempts to be good, we cannot be good in and of ourselves. That even our goodness is filthy compared to the holiness God made us for. No one person is better than another in and of themselves. I bring this to light because many in the church who are opposite-sex attracted subliminally believe they are better off than those who are same-sex attracted. Or, there are many in the church who believe and hold to the stance that opposite-sex attraction is more innately good and right and is innately less sinful. Mankind's rebellion to God in the garden caused sin to enter the world, and the effects of sin changed everything, and brokenness spread throughout all of creation. Our topic today may be difficult to navigate, but this is because brokenness has so tainted our ability to be perfectly human in our flesh. The brokenness of our culture has so influenced our understanding of sexuality. The microscopic lines that separate general attraction from actual lust are so blurry for us because we do not experience sexuality or sexual attraction or general relationships and human interaction in our human experience the way we were designed to because of brokenness. With that being said, before we start to really dive into a specific answer to our topic today, I think it would be beneficial to break down the various forms of attraction most humans experience. The reason for this is that we are talking about sexual attraction, but it's important that we distinguish sexual attraction apart from other forms of attraction. Any quick Google search can help you see that there are fundamentally five forms of attraction we experience as humans. Many are agreed on these five forms of attraction, but further searching can lead you to some articles that get, in my opinion, very questionable in how they articulate many more forms of nuanced attraction. The five I want to bring our attention to today are emotional attraction, physical attraction, also known as sensual attraction, romantic attraction, aesthetic attraction, and sexual attraction. Let's break down what each of these mean, starting with emotional attraction.
The descriptions I'm using for each of these forms of attraction are from betterhelp.com, and I found these descriptions to be the most helpful out of everything I read. The description for emotional attraction says, This is where you want to be emotionally present with another person. When you want to share with them the things that you are feeling, you feel an emotional attraction. You may have this with friends, family, or romantic partners, or you may have some level of it with all three. Having healthy emotional attachments and feeling as though you can share your feelings with others is extremely important and it makes for a healthier lifestyle. You should have several people that you feel you can share your emotions and feelings with. So, in short, when you feel about someone that you want to connect with them emotionally and share what you feel with them, that is an emotional attraction. And this emotional attraction can be felt towards several different kinds of people at varying levels of closeness and intimacy. Second, let's look at the description for physical attraction. Also called sensual attraction, this is a desire to be around others, to be physically cared for and treated with love and affection. It can occur with romantic relationships, but it doesn't have to. When we are children, we have a level of physical attraction to our parents who hug and cuddle us. As we grow older, we may develop these types of relationships with our friends. These are attractions and desires for physical contact, but for types of physical contact that are non-sexual. You may feel a desire for your friend to hug you when you've had a bad day. This is an example of physical attraction. This is going to be more poignantly felt by those whose primary love language is physical touch. There are some people who simply don't like physical touch, maybe unless it is with someone to whom they are romantically and sexually attracted. This was fascinating for me to look into because I think we often use the language of physical and sexual attraction interchangeably without knowing it. If someone says they are physically attracted to someone, they may not realize they are actually talking about sexual attraction because the way someone looks or is may cause us to want to move toward that person in a sexual way, which is different than just physical attraction. To be physically attracted to someone would mean that you simply want to be near them physically in a non-sexual way. You may want a hug from that person, or to hold hands with them, or to sit close to them on a couch. This could be with a friend, a family member, someone you care for, or someone who cares for you, or even someone you admire. And physical attraction can be felt towards many different people at the same time. Third, let's look at the description for romantic attraction. This is entirely separate from sexual attraction, though you may feel them for the same person. This type of attraction is where you want to be in a relationship with the person. You may want to be with them without necessarily wanting the sexual aspect of the relationship. This isn't the same as friendship, however, and the feelings will be stronger than the attraction you feel toward a friend. In this type of attraction, you want to be romantically involved with the individual, but sex is not required. 
Now, to be honest, I'm not sure how this can exist on its own, but I think it's safe to say that you can begin a romantic relationship under the purview of romantic attraction alone, and then as time goes on, sexual attraction may follow suit. This form of attraction could possibly refer to more of the romantic form of art and literature, almost romanticizing a person, but I think this form of attraction is referring to the type of romantic love that is between two people in a romantic relationship. Possibly having a crush on someone, the, the feeling you have for a significant other, your spouse, etc. I think this description is helpful because it begins to address the idea that in many cases these separate forms of attraction may often be experienced at the same time for the same person in whatever combination. I'll get to more on that in a bit. Fourthly, let's look at aesthetic attraction. This type of attraction is what happens when you see someone walking down the street and think that they look good. Many of us look at celebrities this way and think that they are cute, hot, gorgeous, <laughs> insert favorite descriptive term here. This type of attraction is not the same as physical attraction or sexual attraction because you may not feel any desire to touch or be touched by the person that you find aesthetically pleasing. You simply notice the way that they look, much in the way you might notice when someone has a nice car or when there is a sculpture in front of a building. It doesn't mean that there can't be a physical or sexual attraction at the same time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is physical or sexual attraction happening as well. This is one we hear about quite often and is probably used most generally in our cultural language. When a girl says to another girl, you're cute, I love that look on you. Or when a guy says of another guy, that's a good looking guy, he's just generally an attractive guy. What is being communicated is not exactly any desire to touch or be touched by that person or any desire to move toward them sexually, romantically, or emotionally. It is simply just a general expression of attraction. This can also be expressed in an opposite sex manner with no physical or sexual attraction, especially if a man simply finds a woman to be beautiful or if a woman finds a man to be very good looking. Aesthetic attraction is more prevalent in our current culture through social media influencers who seek to attain a level of aesthetic attraction which creates trends and gains influence over other people because of their individual aesthetic attractiveness that many other people are drawn to. Fifthly and lastly, let's look at a description of sexual attraction. This is the one that we hear about the most, and it's the one that most people think of as soon as they hear the word attraction. It's about looking at someone and feeling something toward them in a sexual way. We think this about our sexual partner, and hopefully the one that we choose to spend our lives with as well. But you may also feel sexual attraction to other people around you. It is a desire toward sexual touching and activity with another person. The level of strength of those feelings and their occurrence, however, 
could vary from person to person. And this is where we start to talk about how these things work together. Because in our human experience, it is not too common to experience only one of these types of attractions without another, although it is possible. This description of sexual attraction we just read sounds an awful lot like lust, doesn't it? That to be sexually attracted to someone is to have an actual feeling of wanting to engage in sexual acts with that person. But I would say that because we aren't just animals that want to mate with whatever other human walks by, your sexual attraction has probably stemmed from one or two other forms of attraction toward that person. But what I'm getting at is that maybe a series of attractions happened so quickly that it seemed like you only felt sexual attraction to them. But wouldn't you possibly agree that you tend to only feel sexual attraction towards someone that you have maybe already felt some form of emotional, physical, aesthetic, or romantic attraction toward? Let's do a quick example. You're sitting in a coffee shop near a window, working on something or reading, and as you look out the window to process your thoughts, someone walks by and you notice their look, and maybe it's their aesthetic that you are immediately attracted to, simply noticing that you like how they look. But in a matter of a, a second, you have a sexual thought about them. Or maybe it's a delayed sexual attraction where hours later you go home and remember this beautiful person you saw, and it's only then that you feel a sexual attraction to them. Another example might be that you have an emotional or physical attraction to a close friend. You are connecting emotionally with that person, or you are simply wanting a hug or to be physically close to that person. But maybe in the same setting or over time, you find yourself sexually attracted to that person. Or maybe through your emotional connection with someone and emotional attraction toward that person, over time you find yourself feeling a romantic connection with them which means you are now romantically attracted to that person. But remember, those are separate expressions of attraction that all played together. There are plenty of other examples we can use where we start to see that these forms of attraction can exist on their own, but hardly ever do. This is important to identify because as we continue talking about sexuality, it's important to know how to talk about what is an act of sin or not in light of these things. Let me jump pretty directly to something I want to make clear. Because of who God is and how he made us, I think it's too limiting to simply say that attraction happens because we are biologically wired to procreate. This is apparently true because not all these forms of attraction necessarily lead to procreation. And when we start thinking about two people coming together romantically and emotionally, leading to marriage, especially for the Christian, this isn't just a biological process, but a spiritual one as well. Oftentimes, this language of attraction has a hidden root of selfishness in it, 
where we knowingly or unknowingly have curated a specific palette of what we are attracted to. This has much to do with the broken influence of culture over us. Hollywood, social media influencers, the music industry, models, and especially pornography have all shaped how we perceive what is attractive or not. But biblical relationships, particularly marriage, have less to do with whether your partner or spouse fits all your specific desires and attraction to them and has more to do with loving that person in covenant commitment, denying yourself and serving that person. And if we're going to use the descriptions of these five different forms of attraction, then I would go so far as to say that the repetitive consummation of the opposite sex marriage is a culmination of these attractions all working together towards one another. And yet, for the Christian, there is also a mysterious spiritual aspect at play as well. Because of how we were designed in the garden before the fall, it is good and right that we would feel these attractions because they help cultivate culture and community. And also, they work together to lead toward the model of marriage we were given before the fall. Yes, Adam didn't have all these women to see and pick who he was most attracted to, but I think it's safe to say that upon receiving Eve, he probably experienced these attractions for her. Because of the way marriage works, it doesn't mean that you get to only relate to your spouse on the basis of whether you feel attractions for them at any given time or not. At 10 p.m., after a husband and wife have come home from work, especially if they have kids, and have helped the kids with homework, possibly disciplined them for being disobedient, cooked dinner, fed them, bathed them, put them to bed, and then each spouse may have had their own things they needed to tend to, the wife may need to process some things about her day or life with her husband, and she wants to emotionally connect with him in that moment. But maybe the husband is really tired and just wants to go to sleep. He may not be feeling an emotional attraction to his wife in that moment, but it may be more loving for him to make himself available to emotionally connect with his wife in that moment. I don't want to set a precedent to say that attractions drive all of our human interactions because I think love and selflessness should be ahead of the cart of all of our attractions. My main idea here is that marriage is quite possibly the clearest culmination of all our attractions working together. But whether you feel attraction in every way at every moment does not dictate how you respond in marriage. Attraction can be very consumer-based, but our human relationships thrive most when we are willing to give more than receive. It's also interesting that in marriage, sexual attraction may manifest itself toward the spouse more out of love than lust. What I really want to get at, though, is not within the confines of marriage. It has more to do with the examples of sitting at a coffee shop or connecting with a friend. Our culture is unabashedly sexualized. 
through movies and music, models, and pornography, so many people are victims to an overly sexually stimulated human experience. The effects of porn specifically make it really hard to be able to distinguish between one form of attraction and sexual attraction because it is easy to so quickly think a sexual thought about someone you see due to our brokenness and exposure to an overly sexualized culture. On one hand, we're passive victims to this, but on the other hand, we are active participants. Again, we aren't just animals enslaved to our biological sexual needs. We are so much more complex than that. Which goes back to the office clip I played. Of course Dwight would say what he said because he's Dwight. But I don't think attraction only has to do with whether you want to mate with someone or not. And that example from that clip is limited to male-female biological sexual attraction. But even that example subtly portrays the idea that the only attraction that matters is the one where a male would want to impregnate a female. Our experience of attraction is so much more complex and, quite frankly, so much more rich than just this impulsive need to procreate. I think the reason why things get murky with trying to understand the different kinds of attraction we feel and how some of them may work together at the same time is because our present experience in culture is so over-sexualized. And depending on someone's own personal makeup and possible wounds or desires, someone may find themselves sexualizing perfectly healthy forms of non-sexual attraction. When they hug someone, they may find themselves sexualizing that hug and not realize they're doing it. When someone is connecting with another emotionally, they may find themselves desiring to engage in sexual activity with that person, which, for that specific situation, may be a form of sexualizing emotional connection. Because of all this, we start to see why it's important to distinguish between these forms of attraction and get to more of the root of what is happening. So how do we address the idea of sin or lust considering all these things, especially as it pertains to sexual attraction? How do we consider whether same-sex attraction is entirely sinful or not? Again, what we're tackling today is this idea that even to be remotely attracted to someone of the same sex is an expressed act of sin that needs to be repented of and turned away from. This idea that is communicated this way is rooted in what we talked about in our last episode where one might say that it's a committed sin because it goes against the natural order of sexual desire. But we determined in the last episode that the natural order of expressed sexual desire is really just to be between one woman and one man in marriage, not just that it is heterosexual in nature. So, 
having already answered and covered the idea that the only rightly ordered sexual expression is not necessarily opposite sex attraction, but is strictly expressed sexual attraction and desire between one woman and one man in marriage, let's do a little word breakdown. And I'm going to specifically talk about same-sex attraction for this example. Same-sex sexual attraction means that someone experiences a desire to have sex with someone of the same sex. And let's get more specific here to say that this is not a waking desire at all times, but is excluded to just one moment in someone's whole day. Has this person committed lust? if they have felt a desire to have sex with someone of the same sex? To make this question more clear and fair, let's momentarily remove the last part of that question and ask this question instead. Has a person committed an act of lust if they have felt a desire to have sex with someone? If they have felt a desire to have sex. A desire. What is this desire? Where does this desire come from? Is it innately good or bad to desire sex? Is it sinful to desire sex? If you've desired sex, have you actually committed lust? I really want to begin to answer these questions. So join me next week for our next episode where in part two, we will begin to look at what the Bible might have to say about these things. <laughs>